as you let your mind fill with the images that you've seen on the television this week, why don't you talk to Jesus Christ in response to our worship today? The time is now. Come church, arise. Lord Jesus, it was powerful to hear Deb sing that, but if you were to say those words to us, the time is now, my people. Come, church, my church, globally, arise. Love with my hands, see with my eyes. If we look at the world, Lord Jesus Christ, with the eyes of Jesus, what do we see? Pain and suffering and brokenness. And in many places, what feels like hopelessness. And in the midst of it, a courageous few. Men, women, children, older folks. A few who know you, Lord Jesus, and are willing to be your hands extended to the desperate. Your compassionate heart reaching with hope. Your mind offering answers and wisdom. Lord Jesus Christ, we grieve as we look at the condition of our world. And we have come to this place this morning in part to be able to hear what is your response to the disaster in Japan. What is your response, O oh God, <clears throat> to civil war in Libya, what is your response to America, Walworth County, and what is your call to us, the people sitting in this room right now, the people listening to my voice, <clears throat> would you invite the God who created the universe and created you to speak to you in the next few minutes, personally, privately? First, telling you how much He loves you, but then secondly, telling you how much He desires to be able to involve you in what He's doing in our world. We open our minds and our hearts to hear and to respond, Lord Jesus Christ. In Your name we pray. Amen. And Amen. Children, we love you so much and we're ready to dismiss you to uh, the adults who are ready for you and have been preparing for you. Don't you love it when you watch our kids go? It won't be very long and they won't be going. They'll be sitting with us. Then it won't be long and they'll be teaching the next generation, right? So what have you been thinking about as you have watched the television this week? Liz, I wonder how the students at the University of California's college systems, university systems are, are responding. As you may know, one of the university systems that has more foreign students than any other system in the United States. I would assume a great number of them from Asia, right? And as they watch what's happening along the Pacific Rim, how do they respond to that? But I would guess also a number from the North African nations and the Middle Eastern nations. And as they watch to see what's happening in Libya and Egypt and Tunisia, God's placed you, my dear sister, in a very strategic place. And we need to pray for James and for Liz 
now with a new baby as good parents, but as strategic voices of God into those students who will not be here long. They will soon be going back to their nations as leaders in those places. We're delighted to see you, and we praise God for you and James. Dear Shirley, it's so wonderful to have you back with us. Are you home for very long? It seems like you're always going someplace. I dug in my garden, so now I'm grounded. You're dug in your garden, so you're grounded now for a while. Amen. Next Sunday night, the 27th, uh, Shirley, uh, bring your seatbelts, because when Shirley gives us a report of where she's been and what she's been doing, she's been to Honduras and Jamaica both, and then Larry Voss, a junior, has just come back from three weeks in Kenya. They've got great things to tell us about what God's doing there a week from tonight. Ooh, you ready? All right, let's open God's Word. Acts chapter 8 in the New Testament. Oh man, I think God wants to talk to us today in a special way. And you see what I wrote for you on the front of your worship folder? And you're thinking, I can't do two things at once, Pastor Doug. You asked me to open Acts 8, then you asked me to look at the front of the worship folder. What, make up your mind. <clears throat> well, God gave you two hands, right? And two eyes. So on the front of the worship folder I wrote, In every generation our world celebrates the courageous few who step forward in times of great need. We tend to build monuments to people like that. And we, we, we have holidays on our calendar remembering people like that. I've heard them referred to this week as the Suicide 50. Those 50 courageous engineers and others in Japan who are trying their very best to stop the meltdown on behalf of an entire nation. Truth is, no matter what they wear, likely they won't live 30 days based on what we saw at Chernobyl. Courageous men and women willing to die for the good of the children of their nation. The king, that's King Jesus, advances his kingdom in every generation with courageous stewards. I gave you that word, 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 stewards, last week. And I suggested that it is a person who understands he or she has received a calling from his or her sovereign to go on their behalf on a mission to accomplish significant things in their generation and entrusted with the resources of the sovereign. The king advances his kingdom in every generation with courageous stewards. He can trust to step out of their comfort zones and follow him, sometimes in the face of daunting challenges. You and I live in one of the most comfort zone places in the world. Would you agree? And the more we can see, praise God, the white stuff on the ground disappearing soon. It'll be flowers and green, and the ice will be gone. It'll be waves and sailboats. Amen. It's comfortable here, and we love it here. Do we love it too much? And is it possible, my friends, that what God wants to say to us this morning is, I know why you love it. I made it. (laughs) I love it too. But I want you to look beyond your comfort and see the needs of the people beginning right in your own home and then right next door and then the next community. And I want you to ask yourself the question, am I among the courageous few stewards who would be willing to hear your voice, God, say to me, I have something special I would like to invite you to be a part of. 
But you're going to need to be willing to step out of your comfort zone just a bit. And my guess is right now, several of us have said, I'm putting my pencil away. There is no notes I'm taking today. Right? Because I like my comfort zone. Acts chapter 8. You ready? First verse. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. That's people just like you and me, followers of Jesus Christ, who were living in Jerusalem. My friends, this phrase, this verse could not be more up to date. It's happening right now in many parts of the world. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Last year we had a theme verse that called us to consider that God wanted to teach you and me what's best for us and lead you and me in the path or the way that would be best for us. Would you say it with me again? This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and directs you in the way you should go. Do we believe it? Yes, we do. Are we willing to trust it? Mm, Maybe. On that day, a great persecution broke out. And all those believers in Jerusalem who had been experiencing this great move of God had to flee for their lives to neighboring communities. It would be something like if suddenly a great persecution broke out right here in the southern lakes part of our county and we had to go north or down into Illinois someplace to get away from the heat because Christians were being run out of here. We didn't know would we need to be away a week or a month or permanently. Think about that. Very little time to pack up. You're not taking your house with you. How much can you pack up in your automobile? Get out of town. Oh my. Godly men, verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. That's why the persecution was happening, you see. In chapter 7 last week, we saw that Stephen had been stoned to death. There was such a reaction against Christianity by the Jewish people in Jerusalem. But Saul, verse 3, he began to destroy the church by going from house to house and he was dragging out men and women and putting them in prison. Now, We read things like that and we go, hard to imagine. So try a a knock on your door that sounds passionate, a pounding on your door. You open it up wondering what's happening before you stands a group of people and they look angry and they kick in the door. And one of them says, I saw you. You were baptized with those group of crazy people. We're taking you out and they grab you and drag you out of your house and drag you down, beating you to take you to prison. It's happening today in many parts of the world, particularly in Central Africa. Entire families burned alive in their homes. Entire church families burned alive in their churches, my friends, because those around them don't want Christians there. It's happening today. And that's why people were fleeing out of Jerusalem. Look, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's important. You see on the screen uh, that I'm suggesting to you that stewards are scattered by the king's kingdom purpose. He's trying to accomplish something in every generation that requires stewards being on the move with him. You see, among the last things that Jesus had said before he returned back to heaven 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said to his friends, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you. You'll be empowered and you'll be my witnesses. You'll be the one who will tell the story here in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And they said, great, but they didn't. Oh, the Holy Spirit came and and they had a glorious experience and they started telling one another there in Jerusalem and pretty soon there's 3,000 and then there's 5,000 in Jerusalem. And what about Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth? (laughs) I suspect that the Holy Spirit of God whispered frequently in their ear, what about the other communities? What about Samaria? And then I suspect the the Spirit of God started shouting at them. Remember what Jesus said outside Jerusalem. No. And so the King Jesus permitted the persecution in order to scatter those who had experienced the person of Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 is fulfilled in Acts 8.1. The scattering of the people. Do you see what happens here? Philip, verse 5, went down to a city in Samaria. You remember the relationship between Jews of Jerusalem and Samaria. There was none. Uh, Jews would go all around the county of Samaria in order to go between Galilee and Judea, you remember. You just don't mix those two groups of people. But that's where Philip went to escape the persecution. And he proclaimed the Christ there. He told people about Jesus there. How did they respond? Well, look at verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of people. And paralyzed people were healed. So there was what? What does it say? There was great joy in the city. That means there were people saying, Philip, whoever you are, we're glad you came. Our town is changed. Philip, who was he? Oh, there was an apostle named Philip. That's not him. There was a disciple, uh, pardon me, yes, a disciple named Philip, later identified as a deacon. If you go back just one or two pages, you'll see him there in Acts chapter 6. You remember when the widows were not being fed properly and the apostles said, we need to choose seven men full of what? The Holy Spirit of God and wisdom to be able to care for the needy widows. So we know that Philip was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man full of wisdom. And he had a tender, compassionate heart to be able to care for the widows. That's why he was qualified for God to guide him down as a courageous steward into the middle of Samaria where he wouldn't hide under his bed, but rather he would start communicating Jesus to the people that he would meet there. As far as I can tell, he was single at the time, a single man, unmarried, no children, He had to find work, no doubt. We don't know what his career was. He obviously had to find a a place to live, but it didn't take very long, and he was talking to people about Jesus and doing amazing things. And it started happening in that town in Samaria, so much so that the entire town culture was changed. Now think about that. In the town where you live, if you moved out next weekend, how many people would notice your absence? And since you have moved into the town where you live, how many people say, praise God, you're here? John just goes, ooh. You're right, Brother John, me too. But I invite you and me to consider putting your name here. 
because that's what God wants to do in your town. Would you agree with that? And in my town. That there is great joy happening there because somebody lives there full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who has a tender, compassionate heart and God's doing great things there through that person. Verse 14, when the apostles up there in Jerusalem heard that Samaria of all places had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John down, down there to investigate. Well, that's a good choice. Peter, you know, that quiet, tender, soft-spoken guy. Huh? <laughs> and John, you remember, John and his brother James were called the sons of thunder. If you'll take the digging deeper this week, I'll show you one of the other passages where Jesus was down in Samaria on one occasion. And... Uh, Jesus' disciples were receiving that normal response of Samaritans to Jews when they were there. And John had had it up to here. And John says to Jesus, let's just call down fire from heaven and burn up this place and all these people. That's the John that they sent down to Samaria to find out what's going on. And they were so amazed at what they saw, they prayed for those people and asked God to send a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it there? When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And then it changed them in the process. Look at verse 25. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. What does it say next? Preaching the gospel where? In many Samaritan villages, do you see that their experience there in Samaria changed them? And rather than running back to Jerusalem as fast as they could, they took their time going from town to town in Samaria talking to people that they really didn't like about Jesus because Jesus was changing their hearts and they began to like them. <laughs> wow. Do we see ourselves there somewhere? Are you a Philip? Or maybe a Peter? Or maybe a John? Now here's the bigger question. How many times do you suppose it has happened in your lifetime or in mine where God has been doing something pretty special over here and you didn't know anything about it? And over here where you are, God is working in your life and God's looking at the two. And God's saying, I think it's time I'd like to invite you to come and be a part of this. Now, I don't mean by that it's halfway around the world. It could be across the street. It could be in your workplace, but something's going on in the life of a person and God's ready to invite you into it. And just about the time that God extends, extends His hand to you to say, I'm inviting you like Philip to take a step, He shakes His head and He withdraws His hand because He says, You're not ready. Your heart is hard and I needed a, a tender-hearted person. You still have that attitude about you. There's still that prejudice or maybe even that bigotry or that, that anger or that hatred or that unforgiveness or what. I pondered that this week, my friends, and I have to tell you that I'm broken in my heart to consider that there have been many times where God wanted to say, Doug, I'd like to use you in this situation, but I can't. Your heart isn't right. So I have to withdraw my hand of invitation from you. And I have to go find somebody else. And I have to wait for you. How many times has God had to wait for me? Think about that. Or for you. To find yourself in the right place of mind and heart. So God could extend his hand like he did to Philip and to Peter and John. 
Now, you would think that for Philip, wonderful. The Samaritans have received me. This is a great thing. God, thank you for putting me here. Now let's put down some roots and really get after it here. (laughs) Watch out with that, with God. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Samaria is north of Jerusalem, so he had to go south of Jerusalem. And can't you imagine him saying, but why, God, why? You brought me here, and good things are happening here. Can't you send somebody else down there? But look what it says. So he started out. I see no complaint, no argument. He started out on his way to the desert road. That's kind of been my journey, my friends, if you know Don and me very well. God has never allowed us to roost very long in any one place. I can't explain to you why. But as I look at my dear daughter April, I wonder how many times when we sat around the table as a family and I said, Donnie, April, God is stirring. Here's the circumstances that seem to suggest that God is letting us know He has prepared another place over here and He's asking us, are we willing to step out? first Sunday, uh, my installation Sunday at the first church that we served in Montvale after coming home from the field. We'd been living in Philadelphia for about three years in April for the first time in her life had a youth group that she could be a part of. She loved it. I was traveling a lot, so I wasn't there very much. And this little church in northern New Jersey was just broken and they invited us to come. It was so obvious that God was calling us to go there, but it meant we needed to leave Philadelphia to go there. Uh, The church in the back, if you can imagine, was a solid glass window uh, wall from floor to ceiling, side to side. And I got up to preach my very first Sunday, and and Donnie and April were sitting right about where you're sitting, Steve and Faye. And I saw them get up and walk out, and, you know, it's two ladies, and uh, okay, maybe the bathroom or something. But as soon as I saw them make the corner, I saw April just heave over like this, just sobbing. And I'm supposed to preach. To a couple hundred people. And I knew what it was about. There were three teenagers in that church. Three. She was involved in a youth group of about 25, and she loved it. She had said, why, Dad? Why? With all the Christian pastors in the country, can't there be somebody else? Can't you just let us sit in one place for a little while? Why? I finally have a youth group. I remember the conversation we had, honey. Maybe you remember it too. But, but April, what if, by the way, she was a freshman in high school. But what if, by the time you graduate from high school, our youth group is 50 kids? Oh, Dad, come on. And I understand it. I would have said the same thing. And what if, honey, you've had the privilege of leading one or two of them to Jesus? Dad, I understand, but it hurts. Ever been there with your kids? Job transfer? You're going halfway across the country and your kids say, Why? If God loves us so much, why does it hurt so much? Huh? You're downsized out of your position and you're unappreciated by the company you've given your life to. Why, Dad, if God... My friends, I'm inviting you to consider that, that in God's kingdom purposes, sometimes it doesn't measure up. It doesn't make sense according to the way we look at it. But if we would consider to look at it the way God looks at it. 
by the time she graduated, there was 50 young people in that high school group. And she had led a couple of them to Jesus Christ. And it was incredible things what God did there. But as a dad, I sat there that day saying, Honey, I, I understand. And if we got it from the table and we went our separate ways, I went into my bedroom and I said, God, she's right. There's thousands of pastors across this country. Why? Do you trust me, son? Do you trust me? I'm doing something here that's more than all about you. Will you join me in what I'm doing? Aren't you glad we did, sweetheart? I suspect that's part of why she's married to a youth pastor. And part of why we have girl space here. And part of why she's trying her best to raise her three little girls to understand that God's kingdom vision is so much more than she and David could ever have for her kids, huh? Look, on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official, I'm in verse 27, in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot. (laughs) I can just imagine, Philip, can't you? Standing down along the dusty road, what am I doing down here? And then he sees this chariot coming by. Well, for sure, I'm not supposed to be here for that. I'm just an ordinary guy. And I could see him backing up along the side of the road, make sure that chariot has room to go by and pulling his cloak up over his face for all the dust. And then he sees that the man in the chariot is a black man with all kinds of finery on him. Well, for sure, I'm not supposed to be anywhere near that chariot, I would imagine, he thought. And then the Holy Spirit says, do you see it right there? Go over by that chariot, Philip. (laughs) Oh, my. Why? Because God knew that the man in the chariot had a heart hungry after God. That's why he'd come all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem to worship. He didn't know Jesus Christ, but he'd come to worship. And as a highly influential man, a lot of people depended on him and the decisions that he made. And if God could capture his heart, oh, the difference that God could make in an entire nation. But somebody needed to help him know that Jesus was the fulfillment of what he was reading in the chariot, Isaiah. Philip, go over by the chariot. Philip, I've learned that I can trust you. You were willing to leave Jerusalem and go down to Samaria. You were willing to leave Samaria, come down here and stand along a dusty desert road. Now I'm asking you to step way outside your comfort zone. A wealthy, influential black man in a chariot. And he did, you remember? And he heard what he was reading as he was walking along. And so he had courageously asked the man, Do you understand, sir, what you're reading? No, I don't. Uh, Do you? I think so. Well, come on up in the chariot. There's room for both of us. Oh, my. And I can imagine Philip (laughs) said, Sit next to a rich, influential black man in his chariot? Oh, my. I'll just go back to Galilee and be a fisherman, maybe. How about a hand up, sir? And the story goes on, you'll remember. And, and he explained who Jesus was in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And the Ethiopian influential official trusted Jesus. So much so that as they're riding along, he sees a puddle in the road. There's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized too? I've heard about these baptisms that happened in Jerusalem. No reason at all. Got down out of the chariot and baptized him. The chariot went on to Africa and God had a missionary of very high influential position in Ethiopia. Amen? 
And there is to this day a strong Jewish community there and a strong Christian community in Ethiopia. Now, there are times in the Bible when you're reading that things happen that I can't explain and I don't ever, I've never met any other person who can explain and here's one of them. Uh, verse uh, 30, 38, same chapter. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized the man. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, what does it say? Suddenly took Philip away. God just picked him up and moved him out of that place and set him down more than 20 miles away at a place called Azotus. But if God can make the whole universe, I guess God can move about a 195-pound man if he wants to. Would you agree with that? Even if we can't explain it. Mission accomplished along the desert road. Now let's get on with other things. And plops him down in a town that as far as we know he's never been to, Azotus. He doesn't stay there long. He travels from town to town and ends up at another town. Not just any town. A city. The single most significant city in all of Palestine. Caesarea. And if you went to Israel with me last year, we were there. Remember, Bob and Jane? Why Caesarea? The provincial Roman capital. Herod himself had a great palace there. A Roman garrison was there. If you had wanted to have any influence in the entire Roman kingdom, that was the spot to be. Right on the coast of the Mediterranean, pointing all the way to Rome. And God brought Philip, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, tender-hearted to Caesarea. And it appears that finally God said, Now, Philip, now you can put down some roots. Because the next time you find Philip, again in the Digging Deeper, if you'll take it, you'll find him in Acts 21. He's married. He's got four daughters. It's more than 20 years later. And Paul, the apostle, is coming after his third missionary journey and spends a week there with him in his home. Now, look closely at Philip and ask yourself, is there some of Philip in you? (laughs) And you're looking at my notes and you're thinking, Pastor Doug, you're in serious trouble. It says 11.42 on the clock and we just finished chapter 8. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Very quickly. Can I do two chapters in two minutes? Yes. Chapter 9 begins with the word meanwhile. While that was all going on, Saul was still tearing apart the church, the people of God in Jerusalem and any other place he could find them. And he was getting basically a small army of angry Jews ready to kill any Christians they could find. And he had papers in his hand. And he's on the road to Damascus, Syria with a big grin on his face because he's heard there's Christians up there and he's going after them. What he didn't know was he had the rendezvous of his lifetime waiting for him, right? And a bolt of lightning or a big bright light shines out of the sky and knocks him right off his horse, bang, on the road to Damascus, and he's blind for three days. They carry him to Damascus and lay him down in his his blindness, frightened to death because not only was it a light, but he heard a voice in the light that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Getting up off the ground blind, he calls out, Who are you? I am Jesus, the risen Jesus whom you're persecuting. Wow. His whole life changed right there. Hard-hearted, zealous, well-educated Saul began a transformation. 
you know he became the one that we call the Apostle Paul, and you know that most of your New Testament was written by that guy who was trying to destroy, kill every Christian he could find. But in order for it to happen, there needed to be an intervention, a contact with another special guy. We don't know very much about him. But when you read through Acts 9 this week, you'll meet a guy named Ananias, different from the Ananias in Acts chapter 5. This guy lives in Damascus. This guy is one of those Christians, a follower of Jesus. And this guy is minding his own business when the Holy Spirit of God says to him, Ananias, I want you to go to the house of a man named Judas. He lives on State Street, uh, Straight Street, not State Street, that's Chicago. Straight Street. Because in his house there's a man named Saul, and he's blind, and he's crying out for help. Somebody explain the truth to him. Ananias is a pretty courageous guy. He argues with God. I've heard about that guy, God. How about if we just leave him like he is? No, no, I've got good plans for that man. He is going to be my messenger to the Gentiles and their kings, but he needs you to go speak to him. One more time, somebody asked, are you willing to be step, to step out of your comfort zone so God can use you to be a part of something much bigger than God's doing? Do you get the picture, my friends? And so Ananias goes. I've often wondered, did he maybe tuck a knife in his belt or something, just in case it wasn't exactly the way, you know. But he found it just as God told him. He wiped his eyes. His eyesight came back. Saul trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, Messiah, was baptized by Ananias. And immediately in that same city, Damascus, where he had gone to arrest the Christians, started proclaiming, I am one of them. I have met the risen Jesus. Wow. Huh? Now, my question. Are you one? who might be at a place about right now in your life journey where God is beginning to extend his hand. David, I know you, he's saying. I made you. I know everything about you. I've been working in your life. I gave you the privilege of watching me save your wife from cancer death. You've seen my mighty hand. i got something special I'd like to invite you to be a part of. He's saying it to every single one of us. Now, don't get in your mind, it means, oh boy, put a for sale sign in front of my house, buy a bunch of suitcases, we're going to Africa. No, no, no. No, no. Mostly, for all of us, he's going to say, I need you right where you are, Bob and Jane Clockers. I put you here intentionally. It's not pack up and go. It's B. Can I reach my hand to you? Will you respond by taking my hand and letting me invite you into the adventure that fits a part of the bigger kingdom of what I'm trying to accomplish in this world? So take a close look right now at yourself. What wells up inside of you that says, oh, is it fear of the unknown? Is it a fear that he's going to ask you to release your hold on some stuff that is so important to you? Let's be honest, grandparents, we love our grandbabies, don't we? Is it fear that he's going to separate you from your grandchildren by a hundred miles or a thousand? Really now? Look closely at yourself, my friends. Because would you consider that there may have been already several times in your life where he was reaching his hand to you, but he had to pull it back. Your heart isn't right. You'll ruin what I'm doing over here if I bring you there. I have to hold you back. Oh, my. 
So let's talk to him right now. Lord Jesus Christ, with all that's happening in our world, with all that's happening in our our nation, our state, our communities, where we're right on the threshold of summer and what that means for us here in this part of the world with an influx of thousands of people, God, could it be that you've been working in each of our lives preparing us for this moment? And that how we respond in this moment to your invitation not only will shape our lives, it'll shape our marriages, it'll shape our families, it'll shape our legacies, it'll shape the lives of other people. God, honestly now, if with any of us you're feeling you have to pull back your hand, you cannot extend the invitation, would you please tell us why? Please tell us why. And then, God, would you grant to us, please, the strength, the courage to deal with whatever that is in us that is disqualifying us from being used of you in a significant way as part of what you're accomplishing around our world. God, I'm asking you to speak powerfully to each of us in this room right now as we close our time with powerful worship. In Jesus' name.